Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Steve Horton, and I'm the Communications Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we continue to celebrate the season of Lent. We're in our second sermon of our Easter series. Although we know Jesus overcame death, we would all do well to take some time reflecting on this part of the story. God has sent His Son to serve a sinful humanity, and man brutally and mercilessly put Him to death. How did God take this bleakest of moments and turn it into good? Scripture holds the answers, and we can't wait to explore them with you today. Amen. Well, uh, you guys sounded great again this morning. The band you guys did, and also all of you, uh, y'all sounded awesome. Uh, it is such a joy to be able to, to lift our voices together and uh, sing the name of Jesus, right? I hope that you enjoy that as well, because um, that's really what eternity looks like. So if you don't, it's not going to be great for you. Um, <laughs> Mark chapter 15, I don't know where I'm going. Golly, I was prepared. Um, Mark chapter 15 is where we're gonna be. We're gonna look through verses 16 through 32 this morning. You wanna go ahead and grab your Bibles or open the app that you're gonna uh, use today. Uh, the scripture will also be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a couple at our Next Steps table. If you want to grab one of those, that'll be a gift for, from us to you this morning. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's word. And so uh, just take one of those. You can grab it now or take it on your way out. We'd love for you to have that. Uh, Mark chapter 15. I, I'm not sure if it feels like this to you, but it seems like to me right now that things are moving uh, really, really fast, right? I'm just like, just outside of just the schedules where we're kind of breakneck speed, moving from one thing to the, to the other. Parents, I just want you to absorb this. School's out in seven weeks. Amen. Do I need to make, take a moment? We need to pray, right? Is that what we need to do right now? Seven weeks, school's out, right? I, 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 don't, I don't understand, like it doesn't make sense to me that it's that close, but, but right now, over at, at breakneck speed that we're living and it just feels like everything's just moving so fast, over the next several weeks, starting last week and, and in through Easter, what we're doing is intentionally slowing down when we come here to work through really the last two chapters of Mark's gospel, chapter 15 and 16, where he gives the story of Jesus and his arrest all the way through the, res the resurrection, kind of counting down the hours from Jesus's arrest to his resurrection. And as we slow down and what we're asking, what we want to do is ask the Lord to open our eyes and our hearts to experience afresh and with greater depth the, the claims of Jesus as Messiah that we find in these passages, the death of Christ and, and all that is wrapped up in what it means and the sacrifice that, that was on the cross and what that means for us and the invitation that Jesus gives in the resurrection to slow down and ask the Lord to really help us to see and experience these things afresh. This week, we're gonna turn to his death. Last week, we talked about his claim as Messiah this week, we're going to talk about his death. And from that moment where Pontius Pilate hands over Jesus to be flogged and then to be, to be crucified is where we're going to start. And there's five things that I really want to point out about his death. Next week, we'll talk about sacrifice, but this week, just about his death and why it's significant for us. And, and as we turn to these 16 verses in, in this passage, in verses 16 through 32, I want to invite you just to kind of Put away the distractions, right? If, if the phone is going to distract you and maybe it's easier for you just to listen as, we, as I read through this passage, then just listen. Maybe it's easier for you to follow along on the screen or, or whatever is the best way for you just to kind of remove those distractions. 
I want to slow down and I want, I want you to really listen as if maybe this was the first time you'd ever heard this story. Because the sad thing is a lot of us have heard it a lot. And it's not just something to pass by. This is transformational. And we don't want to miss it. So this is the word of the Lord, chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. It says, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together a whole company of soldiers. And that would be about as, as many as 600 soldiers they would have called together there. Verse 17, and they put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, hail king of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. And a certain man of Cyrene named Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country and they forced him to carry the cross and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him, mixed, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice, the charge against him read, King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you are gonna destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. So come down the, from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priest and the teachers of the law, they mocked him among themselves. And they said that he saves others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of, the, of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him hurled insults on him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful and magnificent things that are in your word. And that you would stir in our hearts from your word, transformation. As if we had heard it for the first time. God, would you move? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart this morning, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Number one, we're going to jump right in. Number one, the first thing I want to point out about Jesus' death in these 16 verses that, that, that really we've got to grasp if we're going to really understand what's going on is this, that Jesus' death was a real death. Jesus' death was a real death. Jesus died a real death. He was really dead. Really, really dead. Dead, really dead. It was real. It, last Sunday night, it was the slap that was heard around the world. 
I'm not giving a commentary, nor am I taking sides on any of this stuff, so don't write me an email. I don't care. But last Sunday night at the Oscars, there was a slap that was heard around the world, and it happened. I, I, I did not see it in firsthand, right? I saw it secondhand after, because I was one of the people that was a part of the large crowd of folks that did not watch the Oscars, making it one of the least watched Oscars ever. But I did watch it later, and I saw it. It was real. It happened. It happened. And, and, and since then, from just about every point of view and every argument that could be argued, I've heard those arguments and people that are for and against and want to do things, whatever. And, and, and there's all kinds of opinions. And, and regardless if you feel good about it or don't feel good about it, you had to pay attention to it because it was on the news and there were memes that some were funny and that were on social media. And, and so it demanded our attention. And the 16 verses that we just read in this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 15, they demand our attention. As funny or as horrible as last Sunday night was, and as much as it took over the news over the past several days, it will pass. But what happened in in this moment in time in these 16 verses that Mark records will never go away. And it demands that we pay attention, that we slow down and actually understand what's happening in this place. Because Jesus, the Messiah, the one who claims to be the Messiah, it should take our breath away to what happens to him. The promised one, the King of kings, the the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the one who is fully God and fully man, even though we can't really understand that completely. What John says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus, he, he suffered brutal punishment and he died a real death on a Roman cross. Jesus, who was born to a young lady, a young Jewish mom named Mary, he grew up physically in the same way that every young man, every man in this room would have grown up. He grew up physically in all of those ways. He got tired. He got hungry. We can read it in scripture. He he experienced sorrow. He mourned at the loss of a good friend. He had all of the emotions that you and I experience. He had the same flesh that you and I have, the same insides And he died a real death on a cross on that Friday when he was arrested and he experienced that bogus trial by the Pharisees and was handed over to Pilate. And when Pilate handed him over to the soldiers to be flogged, when those whips came across his back and tore his flesh, he experienced the same pain that you and I would experience. When the crown of thorns was pressed on, pressed on his head, he experienced the, the, the pain of that, those thorns driving into his skull. He, when, he's, when he was blindfolded and hit over the head by, with clubs by those soldiers, he experienced the pain that you and I would experience. And at the end of that torture session, before he would be walked to Golgotha, to the, to the place of the skull, before he was walked there, what we know is that, that he was almost unrecognizable. It tells us the point of the prophecies about him in in Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, just as there were many who were appalled by him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. It was terrible. And then they drove spikes into his hands and into his feet. One of the heresies that arose in the early church 
was that God, that Jesus in, the, in his, in, while, while he was walking on earth was not truly human. He was like some half human composite. I don't have time to go into all of it, but the whole idea was that he was maybe this phantom or ghost and that he really didn't experience the pain that we think that he experienced on the cross. But the truth is that scripture tells us that he became flesh. And I have to believe what scripture says over what others thought so that they could figure out why he wouldn't have hurt the way that he hurt and why that, that was even an issue. But the reality is that he, he experienced that flesh. He experienced that pain. He didn't even take the, the myrrh and the wine that would give him a little, bit of, 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 a little bit of relief from the torture that he was like taking an Advil for the torture that he would experience. He didn't even take that because he fully experienced every bit of the suffering of being flogged and whipped and carrying his own cross to the place where they drove nails into his hands and his feet. Beyond the physical pain was the emotional pain. That he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, one who, whom people would, or men would hide their face and he was despised, we despised him and we esteemed him not, is what it says in Isaiah. And the blows of the whip would have hurt, but there's so many other emotional aspects of what would happen there as, as people, as the people that he says passersby would wag their heads or shake their heads at him hurl insults and the Pharisees that had already been doing the same thing over the three years that he had been ministering, throw those insults. But even beyond those insults, as they gloat over the fact that he's on the cross and this seems to be the end of that, the emotional toll that would come from the fact that these 12 men that he would walked with for those three years, that one of them had already kind of abandoned him, but, but of the rest of them, only one stood near the cross, near enough to where he could call out to him tell him to take care of his mother, but the rest had abandoned him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being alone? The, those ladies, Mary and Mary the mother and Mary Magdalene, all those ladies that were near, but even that would be emotional toll of watching them as their tears stream down their face and hurt because their, their savior is on the cross, but they don't understand why he's there. Just, and they, he can't even explain it to him, even though he said it to him already, they still don't get it. But beyond that emotional toil, the suffering that would come there, the pinnacle of the suffering beyond the physical to the emotional of what Jesus quotes or when Jesus cries out the words from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been rejected by men, abandoned by his own. But in this moment, the absence of the father is suffering that could not be calculated. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the book of Daniel, and they, they stood before the king, and they said, listen, we're not going to bow down to you no matter what. And, and they, 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 knew, they knew that God would take care of them. He might rescue them, but even if he, they didn't, they were still willing to suffer whatever would happen. And they, he didn't rescue them from the fire, but he joined them in the fire, right? And he stood next to them. If you don't know the story, I'm sure we'll teach from it sometime soon. You can also read it. It's in, in the book of Daniel. It's an incredible story where Jesus shows up in the fire with these three men, and they're unharmed, but Jesus, on the, in the moment of his greatest suffering, with just a few breaths left in his lungs, he bore our sins on a cross and suffered the wrath and complete rejection 
of the Father. He was alone. And he felt every bit of it. The significance of God's, of Christ's suffering, both physical and emotional, and the death that he really died is not something that we can just pass over. And Christians have often struggled with the significance of it, but it's, but it's significant enough. It's real and it's significant that we've got to point out that Jesus really died and he really suffered as the foundation for our beginning. But secondly, the reality is that suffering was not a shock because Jesus' death was the plan from the beginning. Jesus knew where he was headed when he got here. One of my good friends, uh, Colonel Hannibal from the A-team, uh, did you get it? Did some, some of y'all still getting it? Mr. T, you got it? It's a, it's a, it follows. You got to be quick to catch my jokes. It's a, I have high comedy is what they call it. <laughs> Colonel Hannibal from the A-team makes the statement a lot in the, in the show, The A-team. I love it when a plan comes together. And I do, right? I mean, I don't know if you, if you experience, I love watching, story, watching movies or reading stories where it seems like all of these kind of separate events all of a sudden collide into this one big picture. And it's like, oh, all the time, these things were working towards this one big moment and a plan comes together. I love it when we pray for things like we did this time last year when we were asking the Lord to give us a presence in Columbia before we were present. And we watched that happen over time before we launched in September, before we were present here, how God gave us opportunities. And some of you are a part of that because of those moments where we met you in places where he gave us a presence before we were present. A plan comes together and God's orchestrating those things. And from the, from the point of view of the bystanders in the story of this that we're reading in, in these 16 verses, it has to feel random. It has to feel completely ridiculous. For the, for the disciples, it has to be that their world is flipped upside down because their idea of Jesus as the Messiah was one who would come and conquer Rome and set up his own throne and the kingdom and they would be a part of it. Even the Pharisees, they've, they've got to be excited because this guy has kind of caused some trouble for the past three years. And, and really what they think is going to happen is the same as Jesus' disciples is he's going to overthrow this, this Roman rule and set up a kingdom and they were going to rule and so Jesus is getting out of the way so they can move back to their own things. But what's happening to Jesus on the cross was the plan from the beginning. And we can see it all the way back in Genesis when, when after Adam and Eve sin and rebel against the father and he meets them in the garden, he tells the, the enemy there that he would put enmity, he would put struggle between the woman and between her offspring and him meaning offspring pointing to down the line from, from Eve down the line, there would be the offspring of a woman, that there would be enmity between her, her son and him. And he would strike his head, but, they, but the, the serpent would only bruise his heel. And then after God puts him out of the garden in verse 20, 21 of Genesis chapter three, there in the very beginning, we see that God is, has a plan already for what's gonna happen. Many, many years later, he takes them and puts them outside of the garden. And it says in verse 21, the Lord made for them a garment of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. See, he took the life of another to cover the shame and the sin of the first two. It tells us even in the Garden of Eden that down the line, there was going to be a life that was taken to cover the sins of others. It was a plan 
from the very beginning. It's one of the things that, that kind of blows my mind as, as this is the arrangement. God takes, it, God, God takes the, this sacrificial system and we see it throughout the, the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, which we'll talk more about next week, and, and the prophecies that fill the Old Testament. It's, it's what blows my mind about the Pharisees that are there standing at the cross, how they miss it. Because these men would have known the scriptures far better than any of us in this room. They would have memorized most, if not all, of the Psalms where, God, where, where a lot of the details that are happening, that are playing out before him, before them, are, are actually actually recorded for us, they would have known it, but they miss it. Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. If you go to Psalm 22, where we just quoted just a second ago, Jesus, or it says, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? So far from the cry of my anguish. If you go to verse seven, Seven and eight, it says that all who see me, they mock me, they hurl insults and they shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let, him, let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. And they go, verse 16, it says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. All the bones are on display, the people stare and they gloat. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. How did they miss it? It's plain from the very beginning and what Jesus tells and what, what happens in the garden and the prophecies and the Psalms and what Jesus tells his disciples that the son of man will suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and then raised again on the third day. This was the plan from the very beginning. Even one of the, our favorite passages, one of those passages that, that, that shows up even in, in the backdrops of, of Super Bowls and, and national championships, John three sixteen gives us a foretelling that this was the plan from the very beginning for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This passage tells us not only something about the, the, the importance that it was from the beginning, but it also tells us something else that's important, that, that John three sixteen about Jesus' death, and this is number three, that Jesus' life was a life, excuse me, Jesus' death was a life laid down, not a life taken. Let's go back to scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his son. Christ laid down his life in humble obedience. Luke records an episode early in Jesus' ministry. Early in Jesus' ministry when, when he's in his hometown and he's rejected by the people that are there. And it says that they were furious. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, it says they drive him out to the edge of town, uh, to this place where there's a cliff. And they were planning on throwing him off the cliff because he had made them so mad. But he just walks right through the crowd because the time was not right. And they're not gonna take his life, he's gonna lay it down. Multiple times they come, to, they, 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 they plot against him, but it, until the time was right, it wasn't gonna happen. We see it in, in Philippians chapter two, verse six and eight. This, it tells us again that Jesus, what he does is he faithfully and, or he lovingly and in faithful obedience lays down his life. This testimony, it says who, who Jesus being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be, to take advantage of. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In his own words, Jesus says this, that I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you skip down from verse 11 to verse 17, it says, for this reason, the father loves me that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This is the command that I receive from the Father. It was him that would lay down his life. It wasn't them that took his life from him. He's the one who laid it down. Not only was a life laid down, but it's number four, is a death that looks like loss, but is truly a victory. It's a death that looks like loss, but is truly a victory. And in our passage, the passers-by, they, they hurl insults at Christ. They mock him as he hangs on the cross. And, they, and it seems like they're being validated for their, for their position, especially the Pharisees, that obviously this cannot be the Messiah Right, because this is, they're, he's, they're proving in this moment that his claim to be Messiah is baseless because the Messiah would never be on a cross. There's no way that they would take his life, right? And they'd be right if the kingdom of God was anything like the other kingdoms of the world. But the, from the very beginning, the kingdom of God has been an upside down kingdom. From the very beginning, the kingdom of God has been an upside down kingdom. So what looks like loss is truly a victory. I mean, you think about from, from the moment that God puts on flesh and, and dwells among us, from the word becomes flesh, Jesus becomes flesh. It's been an upside down kingdom because he comes. It's a kingdom, of, this kingdom of God is, comes as he announces, excuse me, he doesn't come in an announcement and a great display of, of splendor to take a, take a throne, but he enters it. He enters humbly through a young lady being born to a young Jewish couple in a forgotten town that didn't even have room for them to stay at the inn. And they be out back and surrounded by livestock. And the only visitors to this king that entered this upside down kingdom were shepherds who were outcast and some men from far off who only knew about it because of the stars. And on the backside of that moment, they have to flee because the, the, this upside down kingdom, there's a king that's trying to eliminate a, tra a challenger. And so they, they flee to Egypt and they come back years later to only to live in the town of Nazareth, which is truly on the wrong side of the tracks. It is a good for nothing town for an upside down king and an upside down kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom where he surrounds himself with 12 ragtag disciples and hangs out with the marginalized and the outcasts. It's an upside down kingdom where the last shall be first and to gain your life, you have to lose it. It's an upside down kingdom where the good shepherd is also the spotless lamb that offers, that is offered as a sacrifice for his own sheep. It's an upside down kingdom where it seems like an obvious loss is actually the greatest victory over Satan's sin and death as he lays down his life on a cross. And even with the last breaths on the 
cross, this upside down kingdom is in full display because when Jesus cries out, it is finished. That is not a, a, that is not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. It is finished because in his death, death has been defeated and our victory has been purchased. And what looks like loss in the death of Christ is truly our victory. And the last, number five, Jesus' death is the greatest display of love the world has ever known. So we look at the passage and we, and we explore, kind of dive into this, this, what happens to Christ on the cross. What we see on the cross is that Jesus' death is the greatest display of love that the world has ever known. Jesus himself says in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for one's friends. Paul writes in Romans that, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we can see on the cross, this cross that is victorious, not a cross of loss, that in that moment as Christ hung on the cross and his life was not taken, but his life was offered, it was the display of the greatest, it was the picture of the greatest love that we've ever seen in all of the world. But not only is it that picture of love, picture of love. It's also the definition of love. First John chapter three, verse 16, it says, and we know, and this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. It's the, it's the picture of love. It's the greatest display of love that we've ever seen as he lavished his love on us, that he died for us, that we would be his, that we would move from being separated from him and being brought into his family. And we'll talk more about that next week. I can't jump too far, right? So the results of his death and that sacrifice, but he lavished his love on us in this beautiful display, but he also defined love for us. This is how we know what love is. We're called to walk in the same kind of life, laying down love with others. With those that we sit next to here, our spouse, our kids, kids to your parents and to your siblings. It's a life laying down type of love where we humble ourselves and we give ourselves we so say, you can't take my life because I'm giving, I'm giving you, I'm serving you. When we serve our community, not out of, not out of some, some humiliation or we, we feel bad. We serve because we've been loved and we want to love in the same way. We give. We lay our lives down. We serve. It's Christ's love that compels us to do so. To serve those who are the least of these serve the least and the lost in our community because he gives us this display of love and the definition of it for our families and for our friends and for our neighbors. And he also tells us that if we love him, and he says, if you love me, what you'll do is obey my commandments. And in that laying down our lives is one aspect of that, that way we were called to love and, and, and love others the way that Christ loved us. But it's also, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. 
And truly for us, as we talk about that, and I, you've, you've heard me say it, I said it last week, that you know, one, of, one of the things that, I, that we would be obedient no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter what the cost. Because in our obedience, we display our love for him. It's easy for me to say, I love you to my wife without ever doing anything in the house or doing anything in our family that displays that love by laying my life down and being selfless. It's easy to say the words, I love you, but never see the words, I love you, fleshed out by being obedient and laying our lives down. But when we say that, when we sing songs that say, I love you, when we sing and declare our love for Christ, what I hope is that love, that declaration of love for Christ is evident in a life that it's obedient to him and his word. And we talk a lot around here about next steps and what those next steps look like. And every one of us, no matter where we are in our relationship with Christ, have next steps. And what's your next step of obedience? When we're walking through talking about the death of Christ, I don't want to lose the, the moment to say maybe the next step is you've declared your, your love for Christ for years and years, but your obedience to Christ has never moved you to actually trusting Christ for salvation. Maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe the next step of obedience is just reading your word, reading God's word on a regular basis. Maybe it's taking the time to spend time in prayer on a regular basis. I invite the ushers to come as we close. And, you know, one of those next steps and, and what, what scripture tells us is one of the, one of the clear next steps, that, that first obvious next step for us in obedience to Christ when we, when we declare that love for Christ is that we walk, that we celebrate in baptism. And so as, before we, as we take up the offering this morning and we celebrate and give and, and um, give back to the Lord who's given so much, not to earn his pleasure, but in response and worship is what we do. I wanna thank you for giving. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to fill out that, that connection card or share a prayer request and drop it in the basket. And if you don't get it in there before, before it exits, you can drop it off uh, at the next steps table or at, at the back of the room before we leave as well. But as we take up the offering, I'm gonna pray for that. And then I wanna, I wanna share with you a video of a family that, that decided because the Lord was moving in their hearts that, to take that next step of baptism. And because of that next step, that next step of obedience, things changed in their family as well. And so I wanna share that video with you right after we pray for this, pray for our offering and um, begin to collect that. So Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that you died a real death on a real cross. And we thank you that that death purchased for us life. That would look like loss to those that are around us because your kingdom is an upside down kingdom was truly victory. We thank you for the great display of love and that love that we've received and the love that compels us to love others and to walk in obedience to you no matter when, no matter, when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter how, no matter what the cost. Lord, I pray that you would move in us today to take the next step. As we slow down, that we would hear your voice and move us to take that next step in obedience to you. It's in Christ's name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this podcast episode has blessed you in some way, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's Podcast as you go. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time, and God bless.